tell yourself and when you start to believe that you can improve your abilities with consistent effort, it massively changes the way that you approach learning. Hi guys, welcome back to the Apex Delta Coaching Podcast. My name is Kieran Moore and I'm the head coach and owner of Apex Delta Coaching. On this show, my aim is to help educate, inform and drive you to get stronger, fitter and more resilient as an athlete and human. I'll discuss different topics in strength, fitness, mindset and more as well as talking with the guests on their area of expertise. Also, you can upgrade your training and reach your peak performance. Today, I was joined by Jason Woods. Jason is a sports and exercise science student with a keen long-standing interest in sports psychology. We talked about his experiences and approaches to learning to learn, overcoming self-limiting beliefs and different sports psychology principles that we can all benefit from. With that, let's get into today's show. Cool, so uh, I'm here today with uh, Jason. So, hi Jason, uh, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good now. Awesome. Been a good day so far. Awesome. So I think what would be great if we can start with is just a, a brief intro. So just tell um, tell me, tell the, the prospective audience who you are, how you got to where you are, um, and then we can get into what we're going to talk about. Okay, doke. So as Kieran said, my name's Jason Woods, for anyone that's interested in my second name. Um, I'm a sports and exercise student at Herbert Gordon's, and I have for maybe the last about 12 years had a pretty just kind of deep fascination for psychology and how to apply it more in like the sports sense not quite the clinical side but more what is it that separates um, people that are able to endure difficulties and people that aren't and then understanding that from like a psychological perspective I mean a lot of that came really from just my own experiences in sport and times where I would maybe be preparing for a race and then I'd be waiting for the starting gun to go off. And then I would physically feel like incredibly anxious and be like, okay, what's going on here? How can I solve this? And then it was just a case of having a lot of those experiences and then really just wanting to figure out how to solve them. That then led me down the path that I'm now going towards, which is when I finished the degree I'm doing just now, my plans to go do like a master's in performance psychology and just continue learning along that path and just continue developing those ideas that's awesome man i think yeah it's really interesting because i think similar vein to to myself i think a lot of what i'm interested in now has been through my own personal experiences um be that in the more kind of i call it concrete world of of strength and conditioning so the training elements but also then as the mindset psychology side of it um and seeing how obviously from my own experiences and challenging myself and putting myself in uncomfortable or, or sort of mentally, mentally hard situations um, yeah. and, and see, seeing my own reactions to that. And then obviously thinking like, oh, hang on, like, why is, why is that? Yeah, um, which I, yeah, I, definitely, I definitely started out more with the kind of physical stuff. And then I kind of got to a point where I wouldn't say I'd learned everything, but I'd learned enough that I was competent enough and I was happy enough with that stuff. And then I wanted to figure out what else there was going on that was maybe affecting that that could help me get better. And then just helping the, mainly just my friends and the people I was working with at the time to apply those things and then get better with them. I think it's a bit of a catalyst, isn't it? Because without that, yeah. without the physical stuff, like our daily lives as, as humans in the in this at this time in in history is kind of overwhelmingly comfortable in in most senses and like through physical challenges is kind of the only real time we get and in training for example that might be for someone the most challenging aspect physically of their entire lives like it can be a really nice catalyst and introduction into that kind of idea of mental toughness or or Mm -hmm. sports psychology as a wider topic yeah because the a lot of the concepts that have come from the likes of sports psychology and things that athletes use to deal with discomfort and deal with pain tolerance those things have then been applied to the likes of academia and more like work-based things that aren't sport related and are more just how do you deal with mental challenges as opposed to just 
how do you deal with the feeling of your legs burning with lactic acid as you're in the last 20 meters and 400 meters those kinds of things there's definitely a lot of crossover yeah in 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 terms of like things that the general populace end up doing it always seems to filter either down from elite performance or up from kind of clinical settings doesn't it so it's kind yeah. of we take studying the, like the extremes and then we yeah then we kind of extrapolate that out and say like here's what's relevant now to everybody because obviously you've got any in theory anyone can benefit to some degree from what elite athletes are doing and yeah. we can probably benefit from what clinicians doctors and and that side of things are in a kind of call it a rehab setting are doing as well um, yeah yeah i think so yeah it'd be cool to then now get into sort of obviously the sort of topics we're going to talk about so i think we're going to start off talking about something a little bit left field maybe to this but the idea of learning to learn um which <laughs> i think if you kind of take a step back and think about it, it makes sense because if you wanted to learn anything be that sports psychology or, or whatever like approaching it from a, a standpoint of actually how am i going to go about learning this is probably a good starting point because if we don't start there then we, yeah. we're not going to learn um and there's certainly some more and less optimal ways to do this and i think that's what we're going to get into talking about now so um yeah 100 i think something uh, first off like where would you start is probably a good question like where would I you think, start within that topic i think the first thing to to think about when you're looking at learning is looking at the way that people think about their abilities so i imagine some of you may have read this book but there's this book called mindset by carol dweck and she basically goes over these two different mindsets these two different ways that people think about their own skills and abilities so briefly you have the fixed mindset and you have the growth mindset and in the fixed mindset people essentially think about their abilities i'll use kind of a story from like when i was a little bit younger to explain this so when i was in fifth year i I wanted to go to RGU and do and do sports science. And in order to do that, I needed to have my Nat 5s, I think standard grade equivalent in maths. And in fifth year, I completely failed it. Like absolutely bent it out. Didn't get any award. And I was crushed because I knew that that was the one thing I needed in order to go and do the things I wanted to do. So before I'd even read anything about the growth mindset, before I'd even read any of these books, I then thought to myself, right, it's no longer an option for me to be bad at maths. I have to figure this out. So I went and I got tutors. I went and I did extra homework. I did everything I possibly could in order to improve those abilities. But that all started with me starting to believe that there was a possibility for me to get better. And that's fundamentally one of the key things in the growth mindset is when you tell yourself and when you start to believe that you can improve your abilities with consistent effort, it massively changes the way that you approach learning. Because imagine you have an exam coming up and you don't believe that no matter how much effort you put in, you can't get any better. You're not going to put in the effort because you don't think it's worth anything. But on the flip side, if you have a mindset that is, if I work, if I try, I can improve, it sets you up so much better for going on to then improve. And then I had the similar situation when I got in the first year and we had biomechanics which is all maths and again i then had to fight those same like mathematical limiting beliefs of those fixed ideas of i can't do maths to then being like wait a minute let's question that see if it's really true and then i just continually told myself if i practice with consistent effort then i can improve so i would start most people when it comes to learning from that perspective of just getting them to question the beliefs they have about their learning from the first point because most people that when they're trying to learn something, they'll have one of these three ideas. They'll have, I'm dumb. I can't remember things. I suck at learning. There's something along those lines. And it will generally come from experiences they've had in school of where they've not done well on tests. They've been bored. It's not been an environment they've enjoyed. And therefore, they learn that learning isn't something they do well at. So they avoid it. So that, that would be where I would start with, would be trying to get people to understand what their mindset is what their beliefs are around learning and then getting to question those things that's such a powerful shift isn't it because yeah. you can take two seemingly like similar people who have come from similar backgrounds similar kind of um experiences if you like and then put them in exactly the same situation so say one with a more more kind of fixed mindset one with a more growth mindset and 
presented with the same challenge they have to overcome be that the test for example the maths test yeah um and it's just yeah it's just a subtle shift in their their kind of perception of the task itself but also their abilities respective to that task um and yeah that's that subtle shift is, is crazy isn't it because it's like yeah it's insane the simple shift. the reason i'm doing what i'm doing though is yeah. that yeah like i can't do this to hang on i might have failed but this is an opportunity for me to improve and learn yeah exactly learn. it is huge isn't it and i think that's the yeah you see that all the time in 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 individuals in daily life but then also into sort of sport and and sort of the performance setting um around that idea of yeah like oh i failed at something and failure as a concept is a negative connotations but also flip side to that it within a kind of a growth mindset model has incredible positive sort of like connotations because it means like hey i failed at this this is great because it now means i know what i'm not good at yeah and if you take an snc perspective so it's like we when we train want to try and push ourselves and improve and you kind of have the idea of like i said like a one rep max for example like the most you can lift for one rep and that's kind of your that's your limit that's your that's Mm -hmm. your ceiling um and for example in training like we might not go and we might not ever do that and you might not know where that ceiling sits so then it's very hard then to say how the, the respective training sits underneath that if you've never hit your ceiling so i think i i think that's why it can pay sometimes to push ourselves a little bit and pay to kind of explore these um limits because until yeah, we get that in your edge kind of thing. yeah yeah it's like an undefined thing we don't know what's there it's that idea of that failure as a negative thing it's like i don't want to attempt this because i don't know how what's going to happen when i get there whereas obviously if we can kind of clearly more clearly define that and if we can push ourselves to a limit and fail that means like hey i failed i know where that limit sits now so everything below that can be a lot more refined Mm -hmm. and taking it to what we're talking about in this sense like obviously you fail the maths test you then know okay i failed the maths test even might say i failed these questions in specific on the maths test so i now know where my limit sits i can improve improve. absolutely i think a good way of thinking about it is if you think of one of your favorite books or movie everyone knows that movies have multiple cuts there is multiple retakes of a scene it's not it's pretty much never perfect the first time everyone's favorite film they look at it and they see this one beautiful polished article and they're like oh that's amazing but they don't see the fact that there was maybe 500 scenes and months of editing that went into making that what it is and that fundamentally those mistakes and those stutters and the parts where actors forgot their lines and then improvised or what made the movie what it is what made it better and it's a very similar thing when it comes to whether it's physical training or mental training is when you find those those limits of where you're at you find those mistakes they give you feedback on where you're at and you can improve as opposed to you looking at the limit and the mistake you've made in thinking that's that's the limit of where I'm at. It's not the limit of where you're at. It's the limit of where you're at right now, but it's not the limit of where you can be if you continue to practice. So in then taking this concept of fixed versus growth mindsets, is this something you you'd say within a traditional sense is is something you see as being an issue in terms of a misalignment potentially from in that respect so so having taking like traditional settings of sport learning in schools or whatever and having more of a fixed mindset versus growth mindset yeah i think i think the main issue is that people generally aren't aware of it it's not something that's really talked about very much people just generally accept the stories they tell themselves they accept the limits that they put on themselves and they're just like oh that's just me it's just who i am that's how I do things, they very, very rarely will stop and ask themselves, hey, wait a minute, is this actually, is this really an accurate representation of my abilities? They'll just be like, oh, I didn't do that very well. They maybe have a really emotional reaction to it. Maybe there's a crowd. They don't feel so good. And that negative emotion suddenly becomes a story they tell themselves about that limit. And now it becomes very difficult for them to move beyond that. But I think in like the wider context of education and sports, I mean, I guess it depends on the coaches, but I do think a lot of the time there's there's not this awareness that people can 
that can change. Or if it is, it's almost got a sense of mythology around it in that teachers or, or coaches are just like, oh, well, some athletes are going to do it and some aren't. And there's this kind of, I think there's this kind of belief in education and in sport as well of where we think that those that do well, they just do well and we don't understand how it happens. And while I'm not saying that the growth mindset is the number one thing that's going to fix all your problems, I think that if you're in a fixed mindset around your abilities, it's most definitely not going to help you improve. And by developing that and having more of an awareness of it, it definitely helps you improve. Because even if your abilities are, say, they're only 5% above where you currently are, if you have a growth mindset, then you can get to that 5%. If you have a fixed mindset, you're going to stay where you are. So while your abilities might not be unlimited, the growth mindset allows you to find where those limits really lie, as opposed to where you currently think they are, based usually on overly emotional memories of bad experiences you've had. Mm, no, certainly. I mean, yeah, the emotional point's a key one, isn't it, really? Because That's a huge part of memory. Mm. Is If you think about, a good way to think about it is, imagine you have a... Imagine you have a guy in his, in his 30s and he's a little bit overweight and he maybe wants to start getting to exercise, but he's he has this just feeling in himself whenever he starts to try and want to do exercise. He doesn't feel good. It just kind of makes him feel almost like nauseous almost. And if you start talking to that guy, you maybe find out that when he was in school, he was the last guy that was picked for everything in sport. He was the fat kid. That was his identity. That was who he was. And then this kind of gets into what I was going to talk about later, but I'll just, I'll go into it just now. Essentially the model that I, I kind of use for thinking about these beliefs and changing things is that guy's trying to change the results he wants. He wants to maybe be a little fitter. He has to change his behaviors. We all know that. And people oftentimes they want to change what's happening in their life. They want to change the results they have. So they think, okay, I have to change the behaviors and they're right, but there's other things they have to change in order to change the behaviors. Because the behavior is an outcome of what's going on inside psychologically. You have, before you have, before you do anything, there's a certain there's a decision. And before that decision, you have certain thoughts and feelings. And those thoughts and feelings are based on your beliefs. Those beliefs are based on your experiences. So going back to the, the fat guy example, if he has those beliefs from childhood that he's just not good at physical activity and he shouldn't do it, when he then is presented with the situation of where he has no opportunity to physically exercise, he's probably not going to feel all that great because all the experiences he's had in the past have taught him that that's not something that's good for him. It's not something that's going to make him feel good. So when you can get back to those beliefs, that kind of psychological core that people have, and you can get them to examine those beliefs and learn to question them and see if they're really true, which most oftentimes when they're around our limits, they aren't true and they're generally based on as I said before, some like that experience he had, some negative emotional experience, and that becomes like a, a sticking point. But we pretty much never question those. And when we do question them, it allows us to change how we feel in different situations, then makes us decide differently, which then makes us behave differently, which then makes us do different things. So it's a little bit of a shift in perspective, isn't it? I think because so many of the the limitations that that people put on themselves based on our yeah based on previous experiences aren't they because it's kind of yeah. like for that guy in that example like him going into physical exercise that's a new and novel and unknown experience it's something he doesn't have positive connotations to and it's something that he doesn't necessarily yeah. understand um other than his sort of base emotional response to it which is to be avoid in, yeah avoid and be totally adverse to it yeah so I think, yeah, it's interesting in, in that respect. I think so much about what I see coaching clients from a physical sense is they, they come into it and like, oh, well, here's what I can do. And it's like, well, you don't know that necessarily. Like you have a perception of it based on your previous experiences. So you have a perception that here's where my limits sit and anything close to that or above that is 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 impossible. Yeah. yeah. I see this in running a lot is a great example of it. I think people come into it and they're like, oh, I don't like running, can't do running can't run x number of distances like and then this. you ask them why yeah and, and, like, oh, and they well. stutter because they can't tell you they just feel like it. Mm, mm. but if you dig into it it's like oh well i've never been good yeah. at it. it's like well yeah. have you ever tried it's like well no yeah. because i try and i don't like it because it's hard 
Yeah. And then you ask them about something else they they didn't used to be good at. And you ask them how they improved. And then you go, well, look, here's a thing in your life. Here's something else you didn't have the ability to do. You then improved. So do you think running is maybe an example of that? And that there plants a little bit of doubt around those negative beliefs, which then makes them go, ah, maybe, which I think as then can be a catalyst, a kind of like a critical point for people to then change and start building better beliefs from that point. Yeah, no, exactly. I think that's, yeah, it's a, I suppose, yeah, as, as sort of coaches, as educators, as guides in this sense, that's what we're here to do, isn't it? That's We're here to not necessarily push someone and, and, and kind of get them to that point by sort of holding that hand and leading them there. It's subtly making them get to that point themselves isn't it it's kind of like asking the right questions and because i think ultimately you can tell someone to do something or you can tell them like here's how we're going to do it but if they don't want to if they don't believe in that process themselves they, they won't do it it's not going to happen so you have to get people to approach it on their terms and if that's through that kind of idea of like questioning a little bit deeper like okay you've said this why do you think that and then getting them to sort of peel back those layers. And if they can get to a point where like, okay, I actually understand this is based on not just my feelings now, but based on what's happened to me in the past and my experiences, I know that for the large part, they might be totally irrational. They might not yeah. be rational yeah. feelings and thoughts based on objectively what's in front of them. Um, it might be based on prior experiences. Um, and I think this builds into sport really nicely as well, doesn't it? Because you have athletes that are like, oh, well, I can never get to whatever level. I can't beat certain opponent because... Because they haven't done it before. Yeah, because they haven't done it before. They haven't got that experience, yeah. isn't it? And it's very hard to kind of say like, oh, I can achieve this if you've never achieved it before, which yeah, is an unknown. Yeah, it, it is, 100%. But I think that, that I, um... the, some of the psychological techniques athletes do use to overcome some of these things that they might not never have done. They might never have done before because by definition, like a lot of athletes then they've never been at the peak of their career before because they haven't yet got there. So they yeah. don't know what that's going to be like and the challenges they're going to have to overcome. I think just in terms of like helping people remember this process, I have like a little acronym. Um, and this kind of goes into learning stuff. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later, but I use this acronym, all dogs crap. So basically, all is awareness, D is doubt, and C is create. So you say that, so the first part is you create awareness around those beliefs that people have. And there's different ways you can do this, but generally a, a paper and pencil or a paper and a pen and notepad is one of the best ways to do it. And you just write down, kind of stream your thoughts out around. And it'd be difficult if you just have the prompt of stream your thoughts. Sometimes that's a bit, you either have one of two things happen where people write everything and think that they're broken and can't fix anything, or they'll have nothing come out and they'll think, I don't know what the fuck to do. So one of the really good way to do it is if you think about a specific situation, say it was, I don't know, say it was deadlift one rep max and say that was your, your thing you wanted to explore your beliefs around. So if you wanted to get your ideas down around that and become aware of that, you could just write deadlift one rep max. You could do a little brainstorm. You could write about experiences you've had in the past. How does it make you feel? Who are maybe your training partners? Do your training partners make you feel good in that situation? What's your routine around it? And just create more awareness around that situation. And to begin with, don't like try and analyze any of this. Just put the information down. Just get the, get the data down. Then once you've done that, it's starting to find the little bits that might be holding you back. So obviously you could go into this from a lot of different perspectives. But from, from my understanding, look at it from a psychological perspective, it'd be a case of well, what are the thoughts in your head when you approach the bar? If when you get to the bar, have you already failed in your mind? Or are you already psyching yourself up and seeing yourself successfully pull off the lift and seeing yourself going out to celebrate later with your bros because you just nailed 240? What is it that's going on in your head beforehand? And is that supporting you in achieving the thing that you want to achieve? And if those beliefs aren't uh, helpful, then second step, doubt, dog, all dogs is to question those beliefs. So let's say it was a deadlift one rep max. And when I walk up to the bar, I have the idea in my head that I'm going to get injured. And then I can then ask myself questions around that and be like, well, is it 
100% true, or is it in any way, shape, or form possible that this belief might be wrong? And just when just that one question alone, you're not asking people to completely change their beliefs. You're just asking them if it's possible that the beliefs they're holding that are holding them back are even remotely wrong. Because if they are, then there's a potential for something else. And when you have that potential and that kind of like almost gap, there's almost like a little bit, you almost see like a little spark of hope in people's eyes and they go, wait, you mean I can do better? As they start, as they realize that like something else can be, can be true. And it doesn't have to be the case that they're stuck with this belief. And when you get there, you then, you move on to creating. So you become aware of what beliefs holding you back, create a little bit of doubt around it. uh, And then you create a new belief. So your new belief could be something along the lines of, I'm adequately prepared and I'm going to do my best each day. You maybe don't max out every day. That's not a good idea. Even with my minimal understanding of training cycles, I know that's not a good idea. But you try and think about it in a way that you can approach it to become better. And you try and create belief structures that are going to support you to move forward. As opposed to thinking, oh, I can't train intensely because I might get hurt. Well, that's not necessarily true. Maybe you're just training too hard right now. Maybe you need to back off for a while. Maybe you've got other things going on in your life and you need to just give yourself a little bit of compassion. So that process there, the all dogs crap, awareness, doubt, and then creation is a really good way to just get through those limiting beliefs and create new ones that will help build up and support better behaviors. Mm. I think that, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a really great tool to use in, in sort of subtly shifting perspective, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So I think that's it what doesn't, doing. it doesn't just have to be sport. You can use that for anything. You can use it for relationships. You can use it for learning. You can use it for your career, whatever it is where you have beliefs that might be holding you back, just writing, streaming down your thoughts around it identifying the limits, doubting them, and then questioning to see if there's maybe something else that you could believe, something else that you could consistently repeat to yourself that would support a better um, self-image that would allow you to do better in that area. Mm. No, definitely. I love that. That's a great That's a great way to approach it. I think it's something, yeah, consciously I'd or unconsciously I've been doing with clients, with myself even. But having that, that's I, I, I like that a way to approach it because it's it's simple to start with, isn't it? It's kind of like yeah. everyone loves a good, really accessible, yeah. accessible way to approach these things. But that makes a lot of sense, and obviously, yeah, it is a shift of perspective, isn't it? Because you're you're taking something that's like, yeah, previously I thought I couldn't do this. I'm questioning whether that's actually true that I can't do mm-hmm. this, and that's just based on obviously the fact that I've never done it before, so I don't yeah. know if I can do this and then putting yourself in the mindset where it's like, actually maybe I can't do it physically or whatever, but I'm now in a space where I can try. And yeah. if I'm in a space where I can try, there is then the potential that I can push yeah. beyond whatever preconceived limits. I kind of whatever box I've put myself in yeah. that um, can't break out of, you know, of possibility and hope which are a lot more powerful yeah. than self-doubt. Oh, usually powerful, yeah. yeah. If, there, if you even, I think with, with some people, if there's even a possibility that you could succeed, then that's, that's yeah, that's magic. Tricky, isn't it? Absolute gold yeah. in that respect. Like, And then when you take it into a kind of a sports setting as well, like you look at a lot of these top-level athletes and it might, on the face of it, seem like totally irrational. Like they go into it thinking like, they, I can't lose. Like I, I've already won. And if you look at on the face of it, you're like, oh, they're arrogant, they're whatever. But it's like, well, if you're in that mindset of like you go into a competitive environment where it's like in your mind, you cannot lose. You've already won. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, you've got that upper edge on whoever else you might come across in terms of opponents or yeah, yeah. That, goes, that just goes back to like the real base of that model. If you, if you genuinely believe, like Conor McGregor, Whatever people want to believe about him, when it comes to mindset, man is an absolute champ. And one of the things he did really, really well is he created this image in the head, image in his head of himself. He was already a winner long before he was even in the UFC. And that created a belief structure that made him think and feel certain ways when he then had to do things. So if he then came to a point where he had to decide between do I go to the bar or do I go train? 
do I skip this training session? Do I do some recovery? Do I do this, do that? He's almost always going to pick the thing that's going to drive him towards better because his self-image is already aligned to that. And then when it comes to then getting into the arena, for at least for the first couple of years, he was dominant as anything. Yeah, no, he's a great example of that as well, isn't he? Great example of an athlete that's already won in his head and that can only create the the environment psychologically and physically that is going to allow him the best possible opportunities of that becoming a, a reality, I suppose. Yeah. If you can align yourself to something like that, then like sky's the limit, literally. Like it's going to, there's, there's nothing that's going to stop you at least giving your absolute best effort to, to getting towards something. If you, you have that kind of belief structure around it, that you've already, you're already a winner. Yeah. Awesome. One, one other thing I wanted to mention around learning is as well as having like that development of the growth mindset is asking yourself, why is it that you want to learn this thing? So for me, uh, the first couple of years and even the last little while the why behind that is that i want to do this so i can then go on and do the things in the future i have a drive behind what i'm doing that pulls me forward and it's a lot easier to be pulled forward than try and push yourself forward when you create something that makes you want to do the things you need to do so as well as the growth the growth mindset trying to create or trying to just get a better feel for what it is that's really going on below the surface that makes you want to do this thing and really connecting to that i think it was like simon Sinek talks about his start with why and he applies it to businesses but you can just as easily apply it to uh, your personal development your career is understanding why do you want to do the things you do because when you understand why it's a lot easier to to keep going in the face of diff- face of difficulties yeah i mean that, that comes down to a concept i've kind of explored before is having like that deeper why and aligning yourself to a deeper meaning behind what you're doing um because yeah on the on the surface of it and in a kind of a superficial world of people's training goals and like performance aspects like that stuff like the 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 performance goals you might have the the weight loss goals you might have whatever that there is like in the, the the six eight week thing that's that's powerful as a kind of a short-term motivator if you like like that can be the thing that drags you towards a, a kind of immediate goal. But once you get there, what happens? Like you don't have necessarily that deeper sense of fulfillment from that. And so it's a lot harder to then kind of stretch that out to, to a lifelong of improvement. Yeah. Whereas as you say, attaching yourself to a deeper, a deeper meaning, if, if that is in business, if that's personally, if that's in a performance sports setting, like attaching yourself to a deeper concept is, is or can be, a really truly powerful way to elevate your own performance i think i think one of the best ways to do this i i learned a lot i have to give credit where credit's due i learned a lot of this from uh, tom foxley who runs mindset rx and one of the things that he talks about extensively is this idea of having a vision which is very different from the likes of smart goals because when, when you have like a smart goal obviously you have your specific measurable achievable relatable time bound but in that, just as in normal schooling, there's almost no emotion. There's no connection to it. There's nothing that's really relating to who you are. It's just this kind of, well, as you said, superficial surface level goal. But when you can connect those those goals and that vision to who you want to be, it becomes a lot more personal and it becomes a lot easier to connect to it. Like for me, the idea of going to do, it's it's, if I take, if I was to look at smart goal level of going to do a master's in um, performance psychology, then on the surface level, well, that's very easy to lay out. But going into who I want to be, it's a case of I want to help people actualize their potential, and that's part of it's part of my life and has been part of my life for years. Is how do I become better suited to whether it's a coach or is more in a, a therapeutic role? How do I become a better person at that role so even if i wasn't to get into that course it's still a case of okay what's next how do i move forward in some other direction that still allows me to continue being who i want to be as opposed to just this surface level goal 
yeah no i think that's a shift i've made in my my mindset within training within coaching and how what i want to do going forward as a coach um past because you could look at it on superficial levels like what's well, the job i, I want to do this because i can earn money and have a career out of this but then if you obviously go deeper than that it's kind of like oh well i actually want to you say help people realize their potentials and that, that's a deeper goal like it's, it's much easier as as anybody to kind of keep your momentum going keep working towards something if you are attached to a much deeper kind of intrinsic yeah. motivator emotionally invested in the process yeah versus the kind of more superficial things or the the explicit kind of things that no, don't necessarily um denote true fulfillment they're just things that are kind of yeah. like rewards you give yourself Take a box exercise kind of thing yeah yeah i think it'd be good now to kind of segue a little bit in well, i know we want to talk about kind of more practical applications of this stuff but i think like if, if you had for example a, an individual come to you um what what would that process look like in terms of like do you want to first go over learning or do you want to go over more performance psychology yeah happy to start with the learning side of it first yeah okay from the learning side, the first thing I would start with again would be the some form of the all dog scrap exercise and just getting into those beliefs around what the, what their capabilities are already. And then once that's established, it would then be about, okay, what is it you're trying to learn? And what are the routines that we can put in place that are going to help you learn that best? So depending on the material, depending on the difficulty level of it, depending on how long you have to learn it is going to change the technique slightly but generally speaking this is where this is where things get a lot more technical but generally speaking say you have i use the example of note taking because that's pretty much something you're gonna to have to do in just about every learning experience um, when you start with with note taking one of the uh, kind of process the acronym is gone in my mind, but I'll go over a few of the a few of the key points. And say it's a say it's a book or a research paper. You start by reading through it, just looking through the kind of pictures and the diagrams and getting a kind of like a lay of the land of what's going on with this piece of content, this piece of information you have, and maybe just writing down some details about everything that's not like text or prose, but graphs, diagrams, pictures, those kinds of things. Then after you've done that, maybe going through the, the headings and subheadings, just trying to pick out the key vocabulary. It doesn't have it doesn't necessarily have to be words that you don't understand, but words that are key in the text that are go that are kind of the, the key terms for that. Then once you have the key terms, maybe a case of just simply skim reading. And the reason you skim to begin this is because when you skim, you don't get all the information, which creates questions in your mind. And when you have questions, your brain has like it has this desire to fill that information. It's like when you're in bed and you have that, you have like one lyric playing in your head, your brain wants closure. So when you skim, you create those like informational gaps and your brain wants closure. So then if you go then read it, the end, what you're doing is your brain is subconsciously or unconsciously looking for information to fill those gaps in. So you then have more of a, a comprehensive understanding of the material. So I would say that that from a purely like technique point of view is a really good way to approach um, reading and then taking that into note taking i have this acronym in my head that's a slight kind of strange one but peter hates orange randang peter's a guy I used to work with orange randang just is very visceral in my head and then he hates it it's emotional so you're creating kind of images that allow you to remember information mnemonics mnemonics i can never say that word that's a bad belief anyway i struggle with that word uh, mnemonics or monomics and acronyms and stories these are these are really good ways of remembering things so one of the so the peter hates orange rangdang is for note taking it's priority notes p peter handwritten hates orange in your own words because when you uh if you're just writing things verbatim you're not really processing them you're just recognizing the information putting it down on paper but when you Write it in your own words. You have to process it. You have to put your own spin on it and it becomes a little bit more personal. And then randang is review. So you, once you've written your notes down, you then wait like five minutes, come back to your notes, review them, pardon me, 
And then you can practice recalling that information say at the end of the day, which then ties into one of another, another technique is this thing called spaced repetition. So essentially what you do is you, once you take in your notes, you want to try and remember, not remember, but kind of recall, because a lot of times people will confuse recollect, recalling information with recognizing information. If you've ever, anyone that's finished secondary school or university will be very familiar with the phenomena of reading a chapter of a book or some article, covering it up, coming up with a few ideas in their head of things that might be from the text, flipping it back over, being like, oh, I remember that. But what you're really doing is you're recognizing the information. So if you essentially keep the article or the book to the side and you write down as much of the information as you can remember, then what you're training your brain to do is you're training it to pull information out of your memory as opposed to simply recognizing it. Now, if it's something like a multiple choice exam you're training for, then you can sometimes get away with this because a lot of times there'll be cues in the questions or there'll be things that you can recognize that will allow you to remember those things. But if it's more, you're trying to develop a really deep understanding of it, then it's a lot better if you try and minimize as much as you can the, the recognition part of your um, studying and try and make as much of it recall based. Because if even if you spend, the if you have six weeks to study for something, you spend the first week just studying the information and then you spend five weeks recalling it, you're going to find it very, very difficult to forget that information. Not remember it, but forget it. Once you practice recalling and pulling out your information, pulling the information out of your memory a couple of times, it starts to cement in. And one of the ways, oh my God, my brain, I've just gone off track. One of the ways that you can do this is if you do end of the day, if you, say if you've got three months, most people don't, but say you have three months in an ideal world, end of the day, three days after you first studied it, five days after you first studied it, a week after you first studied it, a month after you first studied it, and then three months after you first studied it. If you recall, practice recalling the information, each of those time points, you will probably, I'm not going to say never forget it, but I could ask you about it and you're going to have some idea of what's, what's related to that memory. The other thing you can do is you, what I mentioned earlier, the mnemonics and the acronyms, you can create mnemonics that have got pictures associated with them. So one of the books I'd really recommend for this is uh, called Limitless by Jim Quick. He goes over a lot of this stuff in really, really great detail. And if you're in education or you're a student or you're, you're trying to improve your ability to learn, I would really, really recommend getting that book. So one of the chapters, he goes over these um, 10 myths from learning. And I created, but as I was going through the book, I was trying to make as active a process as I could. So I created this kind of story, which is, see if I can remember it now. Loves Mary's green apple tarts. Gavin Goodstone loves Mary's green apple tarts. So Gavin is growth mindset. Goodstone is goop, not fearing the good opinion of other people and just focusing on your own learning. Gavin Goodstone loves, ooh, Come back to that one. As Mary's as mistakes. That's all about focusing on. Um, don't worry about making mistakes so much and just kind of focus on the process of getting better from those things. He's green. Slash G. Apple was. This is a personal, but I'm not going over this acronym in about three months. And I still got about four or five points. So if you were to actually practice those things, consider you practice them consistently, then it becomes a lot easier to pull those things. Even if, even if you can't yeah. say perfect recall, but it's a proof of the concept that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I'd, I'd argue that people, if there's if there's certain things people hadn't gone over, in maybe a more traditional sense of just repetition on something, and then you ask them about it four months later, and they hadn't looked at it. Have a clue. No. No idea. Yeah. Exactly. If you gave me five minutes and this wasn't a podcast, I guarantee you I could pull all time out. But we'll move on. <laughs> um, so that's kind of a really quick whistle stop tour of some kind of key techniques I would use with people. Um, another one would be the loci method, which is it's essentially where you create a if loci is kind of like location, where you create in your mind a called memory palace. So you have this image in your head of somewhere that's familiar with you. It's, it's good if you start with your house, 
you can use other places when you get good at it. But if you start with your house, it's a really good way to begin. And say you have 10 points of speech you want to remember. But what you can do is you can create an image around each of these um, points you're trying to remember. And then you place that image in a specific place in your memory palace. Um, <clears throat> so an example of one of the ones from... It's another book about memory called Moonwalking with Einstein. It's another really good one if you want to geek out on more memory stuff. And he had a list of 15 items. Oh, let me see if I can go through the list. So the first thing was a tub of pickled garlic, and we had cottage cheese, and then we had smoked salmon. And then after the smoked salmon, there's six bottles of wine. And after the six bottles of wine, there's three pairs of socks. No, no, not three pairs of socks. It was just socks. Three pairs of socks. Then there was um, three hula hoops. There was a scuba mask. After the scuba mask, went to the kitchen because that's where it is. In the kitchen, there's a dry ice machine. One of the other next tasks is to send an email to Sophia. Then there's a skin tone catsuit, a Paul Newman movie, elk sausages, a director's chair, a megaphone, ropes and a harness and a barometer. And that's uh, that, that was just using the OSI method. And I'm not going through that one in a while. But essentially what you're doing is for each of those items, I have an image in my head and I have placed it on a specific point in my house. And I just walk that route in my head and I remember all of the places. So for pickled garlic on my driveway, I have a giant, like 13 foot tall, maybe not 13, it's big, big ass jar of garlic, like something at the BFG where you would keep uh, schnozcumbers in. And it's like there's condensation on the outside, the smell of garlic's in the air. And then on my front steps, there's cottage cheese spilled everywhere. I go into my house, there's like a salmon ladder on my stairs. Creating really like vivid images around the things you're trying to remember makes it makes it really, really easy to remember these things. So, so that's essentially the loci method in a nutshell. As you imagine a place that you're familiar with, you essentially walk around it in your imagination. You create about 15, you can do about 15 spots if you've never done this before. Inside 20 minutes, I could teach you how to remember 15 items just off the bat, even if it was kind of more academic information. It won't help you remember things verbatim, but it will help you remember the key points of what it is you're trying to remember. Um, and another thing you can do with the Loci method is once you've created the path, walk it backwards and walk it forwards. So go backwards, forwards, and do that three times. Once you've done that, I bet you at least a tenor, I'm a student, I'm not particularly well off, kind of skint, but I bet you at least a tenor Three months from now, you could remember 80% of the list. And if you did that with rope memorization, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't bet any money on that. I'd actually bet against you remembering even more than one of the items on that list. The loci method's another a really good kind of like memory hack that you can use for retaining information. I think that's cool because you you look at all of those and it, it sits so counter to the like the the traditional methods. Write it out, write it yeah. out, write yeah. it out again. Just write it down. Or, or you say that like the rope repetition is like just read it over and over and over again and just kind of spray and pray, hope some of it might stick. But in reality, yeah. you've passed. The we end. know it doesn't. It's why people We've all done it. They know it doesn't work very well. Yeah, it's why people cram just before an exam. It's like, yeah, you might remember it the next day for that exam, but then past that point, like, yeah, probably even the other, say you did an exam in the morning, like by the afternoon. You might not have remembered half. Take that exam again. You're fried. You're yeah, yeah exactly. But then some of these methods that you talked about, like I know this is within a very sort of sense of like learning and, and memorizing things, but I think there are wider applications of this sort of stuff into into learning, into just general. Another a really good way, a uh, practical way I use it for is remembering my Wi-Fi password, and I don't have to look at the Wi-Fi password. And it's, it's like kind of like almost like my party trick is when I go to someone's house, I'll get the Wi-Fi password and then I'll memorize it. And then when someone else comes in, I'll give them the Wi-Fi password. I'm like, how the hell do you remember that? And then I tell them, and they're like, oh, my God, you're such a nerd. I love it. <laughs> That's a cool party trick. That would be quite a cool skill to have. I think be, this would be like a cool, a, a good transition now into obviously talking more about like sports psychology side of things. Um, okay. And then briefly just touch on some of like the the, the breathing stuff that um, I think would be really interesting and kind of weaves into that slightly. So okay, just, yeah. But we'll... Cool. Uh, just briefly, at least. How are we doing for time-wise? Uh, we're, we're good for... We're good. For we're good? Cool. Uh, okay, so we talked about the kind of model of beliefs to thoughts and feelings to then 
behaviors and then actions, results, scans things. And then vision and how the vision is in kind of related to those overarching goals. So it's then helpful to have kind of like a system in place of what can you do each day to help you move towards that vision. So there's kind of like, say one, two, three, four exercises that I do pretty much every day and have done pretty much every day for about the last four and a half, five years. So the first one relating back to vision is simply just checking in with your vision. So rewriting it. And the important thing is it doesn't have to stay the same every day. You can have it change. My mind has changed a lot the last couple of years. My direction and the things I've wanted to do even since six months ago have changed a little bit. And so just writing that down and making it emotional. Like we mentioned before, if it's if if it's boring and it's not emotional, it's not engaging, you're not going to really connect with it. So having some amount of emotion involved in that and it being more about who you want to be as opposed to titles and what you want to become and the what, making it more about who and why, what you're doing, those kinds of things. Checking in with that can just be a paragraph or sometimes it's three pages. It's, it's up to you. So that would be the first thing. It would be checking on your vision. Then the second thing you can do is... Uh, I do this thing called a, a drips in the bucket. I have the saying that drip by drip, the bucket fills. I imagine all of my goals is one big bucket. And every time I do a drip, it, the bucket fills. And because it's a drip, you don't really see it. But if you've got a bucket and you're filling up gradually, hundreds, thousands of drips, the bucket eventually fills up. So each day I kind of write down that somewhere between three and five things that I can do that are going to move me towards that vision that are going to fill the bucket slightly. So I, use, I usually, I even draw them as like, I'll write the thing down and then I'll draw a little bucket. And then when I do it, I'll color it in. So it's like I filled the bucket and mentally it's like a little win in my head. The third exercise is kind of just this, what we talked about before. It's kind of like a daily practice of recognizing your language. So as opposed to the all dogs crap, which is more of an acute exercise for targeting specific beliefs, kind of just reviewing your language or whatever you want to call it is about just kind of getting a, a, just taking like your, your mental pulse to see where you're at that day, where your thoughts are. And if there's any, one question I like to ask in my, like when I'm observing my thoughts in the morning is, are there any thoughts I have right now that might hold me back from doing what I want to do today? And focusing on seeing what are, what is potentially going to, what's going to trip me up and what can I do to then um, get past those things or make sure that they don't trip me up as much as they're going to as much as they might. And then the fourth thing, so you've got drips in the bucket, checking with your vision, and then recognizing your language. The fourth thing, you can do any of these three. I like all of them. Um, you can do just a simple like gratitude entry in a diary where you just list like three, four or five things that are that you're grateful for. As much as it seems almost like kind of woo-woo-y, uh, having been doing it for quite a long time now, I guess that it's, you don't notice it when days are good, but when the days aren't so good, it makes a bigger it makes a much bigger difference. Or another way you can do it is kind of rephrasing gratitude as more wins. So what were as opposed to just the drips in the bucket, what were the things that happened that day? Even if it's like three things, or if you do ten wins, um, if you do ten wins a day and you write down ten things that moved you forward in a week, that's seventy steps in a better direction you took. In a month, it's two hundred and eighty, and in a year, it's nearly three thousand. Now, when you've been doing that for even a couple of months and you have, holy shit, I have 300, 800, 1,000, 1,300. I had looked at one of my journals a while ago. I think it was because uh, I, I had them up at the end of each day. And I have in one of my journals, it says uh, 13,762 wins in the last 692 days. It's like it builds up big time. And in the beginning, you don't really see it. But when you've been doing it for, for a long time, they begin to stack up and stack up and stack up. And you begin to believe that you're a winner because you keep winning every day. You're not counting the things that went wrong. I think I don't think it's it's too healthy to just focus on the wins. You need to also remember like what you're doing wrong and the things that you can maybe improve on. But I think far too often people focus way too much on what hasn't gone well and they don't focus so much on the things that did do well. So the wind counting, the gratitude are really good ways to kind of just rewire your brain over the long haul for more of a positivity bias and more of, because the other thing is it's not just a positivity. It's more of a, when you feel good, you tend to do good. 
You know what I mean? When you have that kind of psychological momentum and you feel like you're doing well, it's a lot easier to keep uh, keep doing well. And the thing is, you're going to have those wins, whether or not you write them down. But when you become aware of them, you begin to realize that things aren't quite as bad as you think they are and that you're winning, you keep winning, you get momentum and you become like this 80,000 ton train that's bearing down a train track towards its destination makes it much easier to stay the course when things are difficult. So those are kind of the four main ones for um, daily practice for just the overall vision. If you want, I can go over some things that are more specific to like acute things like dealing with discomfort, like intensity and exercise. Yeah, no, that'd be good to, uh, yeah, briefly sort of go over some of those more, more acute ones. Okay, so looking more kind of at the, like when you're in like a, I, le I like to use, this, I got this idea from uh, the folk over at StrongFit, and they have this, essentially this principle, the West principle, so it's weight-bearing, eccentric, and skill. So if you have exercise of low weight-bearing, or next to no weight-bearing, next to no eccentric, next to no skill, you can really push the intensity on them. You can really um, test the mental boundaries of, of where you want to go because imagine like the difference between the intensity you can push when you're doing snatches compared to the intensity when you're in an assault bike. They're not, they're not the same world. They're completely different things. And I'm not saying that everyone should just do all their training on an assault bike, but when it comes to kind of embracing more of that intensity and more of the difficulty, then things that have less weight bearing, less eccentrics and less skill are really, really good ways to do that. Like if you try and push intensity on a back squat, the back squat will win. It will chew you up and it will, it will shit you out. You can get away with doing it on a sled. You can get away with doing it on a bike. Wake up the next day and you're like, ah, I'm not that sore. I'm fine. I can do it again. But if you do that with like Olympic weightlifting or powerlifting or whatnot, you're not going to last very long. <laughs> um, so within those... Um, Within those exercises, something I, I there's two two kind of primary um, techniques I use for dealing with those um, dealing with that discomfort. The first one is just kind of this mindful awareness, and this is something I practice every day, just for like about 10, 15 minutes in the morning, as I just from like my feet to my head, I just mentally go through my body and try and be aware of the sensations I have in my body. And more from like, just quickly from a theory perspective, the way that this is supposed to work is that in your brain, you have this region called the default mode network. And one of those parts of the brain is in the default mode network. It's called the insula. And the insula is one of the regions in the brain that's responsible for a lot of sensory integration. So when you have people that have the likes of eating disorders, it's quite common in anorexia and bulimia, there's a kind of a dysregulated, uh, the default mode network and the insula aren't quite firing the way they should. So they're not able to integrate their senses in their body. They're not, they're not as connected to their body. And sometimes this results in like self-harm is well common comorbidity among people that are uh, that have eating disorders. And a lot of the time it's related back to their they have a they're not connected to their body. So the mindfulness kind of helps train that part of the brain that helps you be aware of your body. So then when you're in the intense situations of exercise, those physical sensations aren't so overwhelming. I'm sure you might have experienced a time in your life where maybe it was the first time you had to go speak in front of people and maybe you had the sensation in your stomach of maybe butterflies or a bit of sweat on the back of your neck and this becomes like this physically overwhelming sensation. And sometimes that overwhelming sensation is enough to stop people from doing the things they want to do or is enough that they choke in performance. So simply kind of befriending those feelings and being more aware of them and just spending time being mindful is a really good way to train yourself for when you're in those intense um, situations to be more comfortable with those feelings. So it's not this big deal. It's just, that's just the way my body feels and learning to accept those. Pardon me. And then on the flip side, um, going more, the old school kind of more cognitive behavioral therapy, more psychological skills training is the self-talk, which goes back into kind of just observing your language is when you're, say you're on the slide or you're on the bike and you, 
you start to have language come up in your head and be like, I can't do this. I mean, when you're on the slide, it's probably not a great time to try and do some deep analysis of your thoughts and your beliefs. You might want to deal with that beforehand. But the slide's a very good way of bringing up those limiting beliefs because it's a very intense situation. So your psychological limits will come up a lot more quickly. If I put someone on a slide that's never exercised, I'm very quickly going to discover where their limiting beliefs lie because very quickly their brain's going to be like, well, I don't like this. And it's going to teach them where those limiting beliefs lie, which then gives you the awareness to then go question them when you're outside of the training. You can then do your whole dog's crap, create new beliefs. You can then test it out and see well, how well it works. Go back into the slide, try new language out. Does it help you go further? Does it improve your power output? Does it improve your performance? Does it make you feel better when you're doing the exercise? So those two things from an acute perspective, the mindful awareness and the self-talk, probably two of the biggies. With a sled, things can get very, very intense very quickly, as I'm sure you, you might know. Um, and sometimes it gets to the case you're like, why am I doing this to myself? And it's at that point when having the vision of being like, okay, I'm doing this because this intensity, this discomfort, this challenge, is going to allow me to become better at dealing with this, which is going to help me teach others to be able to do it, which is part of my overarching vision, which is a lot easier than I kind of want to have abs in six weeks. It's a lot deeper and it helps you really drive through when those times are difficult. So from an acute point of view, I think those those are the main techniques I used, used and use, and the ones I found to be kind of the most effective. No, that's awesome, man. That's great, yeah. I hope yeah. I didn't talk too fast there because I'm aware that I sometimes do. <laughs> Nah, I'm sure it's good. Uh, there, there's some there's some cool stuff. So yeah, you obviously use the examples there of some sort of intense situations, but I think you can extrapolate that out to training, fitness, physical activity in, in whatever respect that is on, on different levels as well. It's not just kind of at the... I think yeah. Yeah, the extremes are always good to, to illustrate points um, <laughs> very explicitly, but the, I think these, these same things apply across all contexts in terms yeah, of yeah absolutely those are just really good ways of bringing them up really quickly but you can still get it in like a moderate intensity spin class it's just it maybe a little harder to see those things when you don't feel like your legs are going to explode those are very um revealing moments yeah i mean yeah you say like in in those instances where you are at a kind of a, a red breaking line, point, a hard kind of a breaking yeah. point yeah like it's, it's 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 blatantly clear in that moment but in, in sort of the smaller daily tasks it can be sometimes not quite yeah. quite clear that there's a limiting belief under underlying this but you don't really realize it because it's kind of it just doesn't come up to a kind of a, a more cognitive or, or kind of conscious level um, yeah, kind of top of the mind mm. yeah yeah that's what the the just the observing your language is for mainly in the morning it's just getting a trying to see if there's any thoughts that you can really bring up that are holding you back on the daily level. And then obviously the more, the more acute of just intensity and trying to see what that can teach you about yourself. Awesome, man. I think, yeah, we're about at, at time. Yeah. So we'll, uh, be good to sort of wrap things up. Um, I'm sure in, in future we can do more and we can talk more and we can we'll do a breath. We'll do a breath one sometime. Yeah. That's a big yeah. rabbit hole. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a topic that, that, that there's a lot there um and be be cool to talk about it at least um or give it its, its full kind of justice by Excuse, yeah. by talking about it for longer um just just last off is uh where can people find you if you want to be found is there anything you want to kind of plug if or... they um want to talk to me about any of the stuff we've gone over then um terrible handles i think it's at the sock guy 98 is my own instagram handle i don't really use facebook that much um cool i'll, 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 put, give it the, um, yeah. I'll put it down in the show notes as well so everyone can just yeah if they yeah, want to talk about these things or more put more detail about the learning stuff or more application and, and the my, technology stuff. my my perspective jason's instagram is a is a pretty eclectic mix of some pretty <laughs> Interesting, of, uh, like some battle ropes and yeah, very it's definitely ropes. worth having a look at least if you're interested in kind of. I know we've talked about it kind of the other week about some kind of more fringe concepts that yeah. are actually very interesting if you kind of dig down into them. And um, yeah, there's definitely some cool stuff that you can you can look at and apply. And obviously from our talk today as well, like there's some there's some stuff I think that people can take away and 
play with or, or if they obviously want to reach out and, and talk talk to you about it then yeah yeah that, that's cool if anyone wants to do that then feel free all of the 10 people that listen yeah <laughs> cool. that's cool <laughs> cool awesome so yeah it's been uh, it's been great to chat um yeah yeah it has been thanks for the invite man it was, it was a pleasure yeah awesome man have a good uh, rest of the day Okay, guys, thanks for listening in to another episode of the Apex Delta Coaching Podcast. Check below for all the relevant links and notes from today's episode, or just search for us on social media at Apex Delta Coaching. One quick thing before you go, if you are a recreational athlete or fitness enthusiast who wants to get stronger and run longer, then check out the free seven-day hybrid training blueprint we've put together by following the link in the show notes or just search for our Instagram. It's an ebook designed to help you put together the ultimate training uh, week template to crush your hybrid training goals by getting stronger and running longer at the same time without any of the confusion. Lastly, if you enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review or let us know personally. Any and all feedback is greatly appreciated and helps to grow the podcast in future. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and talk soon.